Thanks for downloading the latest podcast from Cathedral of Praise in Rockhampton. You're about to hear a message from Associate Pastor Greg Cross. First, I want to give you a prophetic word to believe in and to expect for. Two Sunday mornings ago, as I walked through the, the entrance to the church there, the Lord laid a, a word upon my heart. It's not the message tonight, but it's something to believe for over the next couple of weeks of ministry, particularly in relation to Pastor Clark Taylor. And the Lord said to me that he was going to put a fresh fire in the hearth. Do you know what a hearth is? In the fireplace. I don't know why he used the old English word, but I'm telling you the honest truth. He didn't say fireplace, he said in the hearth. God's putting a fresh fire in the hearth. And that fire is going to bring a deliverance. That fire is going to bring a healing. That fire is going to bring a restoration to hopes and dreams that have laid dormant for many, many years. Amen? So that's a prophetic word that God's given to our church for you to hope in and expect for over the next couple of weeks. Hallelujah. Because how many know we serve a God of miracles? A God of signs and wonders? It didn't go out with the apostles. Amen? Even though they would have us believe that. Some of the, some of the faith would have us believe that. So I know I'm preaching to the converted. How many of you ever heard a message that you thought probably wasn't relevant to you because you're already converted to that way of thinking? Yeah. Heard a message once or twice, three times, five times, ten times before? I know I'm preaching to the converted. But I want, you to, I want to talk to you about law and grace tonight. So the title of my message is Above the Law. And I want to ask you a question. Now that you are under grace, are you above the law? Now that you're under grace, are you above the law? There's a story about two criminal brothers who had become very wealthy as a result of their crimes and ruled their community like lords. Everybody in the community knew who they were and what they had done. Everyone had felt the effects of their criminal activity. One of the brothers died suddenly, so wanting to honour his name, the brother still living seconded a local minister to conduct the Christian burial. Money was discussed, terms were offered, but conditions were made upon the minister fulfilling his obligation. That condition was that during the eulogy, at some point, he was to refer to the deceased as a saint. <laughs> Regardless of the terms and the conditions, the minister decided to go to agree and went into preparing for the funeral. On the day, it was a surprise to see so many from the community coming out to pay their respects. The church was full to capacity as the minister began his address. During the talk, the minister raised his finger and pointed to the coffin and said, The man you see lying in this coffin was a dirty, vulgar, low-down, lying, cheating, manipulating criminal. Every evil that you can think of, this man is guilty of. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) What is it about human nature? That we seek to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to those who are worse than us. Yeah, that's true. This is a slightly contentious issue. 
I want to talk to you tonight about the extremes of God's grace, the excesses of God's grace. As a Christian, as a Bible-believing Christian, I am regularly offended at the way that our world today brandishes the grace of God as a band-aid for any and every sin and sickness. Alexander Pope in his poem and an essay on criticism made the now famous statement, to err is human, to forgive divine. Sins are forgiven and forgotten with no thought to God's view on the matter. I wonder if I can introduce the subject by going to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because there's a number number of doing words in forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 from verse 1 Now therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. And what we're talking about there is the process of sanctification. But if you go over to verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice now that you were made sorry. Talking about something that they'd done and Paul brought a conviction. But that your sorrow led to repentance. That's interesting. That doesn't happen too often in our world. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. Let's just stop and have a think about that just for a moment. Here's this act of being made sorry, but there's a, there's a qualifier there that the Christian, that the world should understand the grace of God is freely given, absolutely. But repentance comes in a godly manner. Let's have a look at that process. That you, might, that, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, listen, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that your sorrow in a godly manner. Listen. Repentance. What diligence it produced in you. Write that down for me. Because if there is a godly sorrow, if there is a godly manner in our repentance, it'll produce a diligence. Yes, produces something, yes. Notice this. What clearing of yourselves, not justification by your own words. But a clearing of yourself, literally meaning distancing yourself from that old way of thinking. Distancing yourself from that old way of doing. What clearing of yourselves? Yeah. That's good. Come on. Yeah. Good. What indignation. Now, not only do I not do what I did, I hate the thought of doing it. I hate the thought of being it. What indignation. Yes. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things, listen, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. I was caught in my guilt and my shame. I was a criminal of the worst kind. God saved me and set me free. Now in a godly manner, my repentance produces in me a fear of doing and a fear of becoming what I was. Hallelujah. And our world's got it back to front. If they can think they put the grace of God on any and every sin and it just covers it all up. No way. The Bible says the blood of Jesus washes away. Amen. Not covers up. Washes away. Hallelujah. So I ask you this question. Now that we are under grace, because we are contending in our world for the faith. How many know that? Constantly. Now that you are under grace, are we as believers above the law? Never. 1 Timothy 4, 
Verse 1 reads, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Isn't that interesting? And it's a concern. Paul witnessed it in his spirit. He was going to write a few things down and he went, Ooh, the Spirit has just witnessed to the thing that I'm going to write down. And now it's become an express thing that God once said. Giving heed. That's an interesting word there. Giving heed. I've got a young son. He's now in university and hears a whole lot of ideology now, brings it home and has a talk with his dad and his mum about it. And he said to me the other day, boy, I feel the pressure on my doctrine, on my thinking, on my philosophy in life now because the world's not quite about it, is it? The world's not quite. The world tell you anything and everything that they believe. That's right. That's right. And they want you to be quiet. Absolutely. I won't be. Because what happens if you continue to hear what they say without having a defense, without having an argument, eventually you'll give in, you'll give heed. That's true. Giving heed to deceiving spirits. And right now in our world, how many things are contrary to the mind of God and have deceiving spirits all over them because we hear it so often, are we tending to give heed to? Jude said it like this. I was going to write to you concerning our common salvation, but I felt an earnestness in my spirit to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith that we all share. Contend for it. It's a fight. You have to fight for your faith. You have to fight for your belief. You have to fight for your values. You have to fight for for your ethics, for your virtues. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. The apostle says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in this present truth. John 8.32, just by way of reminder. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.36, therefore if the Son, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. I have a question. How does God establish us in a truth? No message ever preached has contained the whole truth that God has on any subject. Isaiah 28.10 says, Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Matthew 13.52 in the message reads, He said, Then you see how every student well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Listen to the words of one of the early church fathers on the purpose of preaching. Every single one of us have a platform. Every single one of us have a pulpit. Somewhere in our world there there is a platform, there is a pulpit for us to preach from. It could be your smoko room. It could be where you stand in your workplace. I guarantee you, anytime, all the time, ideology comes up. Philosophy comes up. The world is constantly trying to convert us to their way of thinking. Constantly. I'm talking to you, not just to me. It is the duty then of the interpreter and teacher of Holy Scripture the defender of the true faith and the opponent of error. Ooh, I like it. Both to teach what is right and to refute what is wrong. And in the performance of this task, to win over the hostile, to rouse the careless, and to tell the ignorant 
both what is occurring at present and what is probable in the future. I like it. Paul said to his son Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. How many have ever had a discussion on doctrine? It's a good thing. Doctrine is not just a list of things that are, that, are, that are men's beliefs about something. Not just a list, not just a list of statements. It's those statements that have actually got on the inside of a person and now it's changed the way a person believes. It's changed the way a person behaves. That's a doctrine. Paul said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue steadfast in them, for in doing this you'll save both yourself and those who hear you. Paul said to his son Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. When you came into church life, there was a whole bunch of things that you believed that were wrong. Me too. And through the process of conversion, through the process of time, sitting under the word of the Lord, sound doctrine came into my life and reset the things in me that were wrong about God, about life, about how we interact with one another, how we do Christian community, help me out, how we approach God in worship. All of those things were were reset in me by sound doctrine. Because there is an order to things, there is a decency about things. Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians 14. There's always an order. There's always decency with the things of God. There's always structure. Jesus used the analogy of fishing to help us understand evangelism and church life. A study of the first century fishing business reveals some interesting facts. It was a profitable industry where fish were caught and then brought to shore. Listen carefully. From that point, they were sorted into clean and unclean. Not everybody who comes into church life is saved. Not everybody who comes into church life gets saved. How many know the Bible says they come in from every kind? Yeah? What do the angels do? They sort us out. They sort us into clean and they sort us into unclean. Yeah? Can the unclean become clean? Oh yes, the same way you and I did. By putting our faith in the Lord Jesus and from that point progressively coming like the Son. Amen? The saved now becoming like the Saviour. Hallelujah. They're sorted into clean and unclean. And listen to this. And then they are salted for preservation. I heard just a little while ago about my confession being the salt that preserves me and my conversation in the world. Do you remember pastor preaching about that? Now, clean, salted, ready for delivery, they are shipped to the markets of the world, ready for distribution and sale. Do you know God has a witness? God has a preacher. Help me out. God has someone who has both seen and heard him do things, who is, who is ready in the marketplaces of the world, being distributed strategically. Do you hear what pastor said this morning? The fragrance of heaven dispersed abroad. Heaven help us. Wow. The doctrine of salvation has a number of facets. The cross is a complete work of redemption no question Jesus himself said it is finished amen 
Sin was the big problem. It had separated man from God. Isaiah 59.2 reads, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Pastor has taught powerfully over the years of the threefold blessing of the cross, namely the penalty of sin has been paid. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Number two, the power of sin is progressively broken in the work of sanctification. And number three, ultimately one day, the presence of sin will be completely removed. Hallelujah. Heaven will be a glorious place, I'm telling you right now. Paul makes an interesting statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We're talking about the church. And he makes a whole bunch of listings of all the people who are in that particular church. And he goes on to say, and such were some of you. And that list was horrifying just to read. And he makes a statement. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified. Hallelujah. And Peter says... In order to establish this sound doctrine, I've got to remind you constantly, bring these thoughts back to your pure mind. Number one, washing. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Remember the word propitiation in the New Testament can be immediately transferred into the Old Testament as the mercy seat which sat on top of the law, which sat on top of God's provision, which sat on top of godly authority and the rod that budded. Help me out. Yes? Yes? Yes. Hallelujah. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. What happens to your clothes when you wear them in everyday life? Was it intentional? It just happens, doesn't it? This washing was a one-off at the cross, but it is a progressive washing because he left us in the world. And the world is wicked. The world is dirty. The world contaminates everything that is godly. It's contrary. It's enmity, the Bible says. So you and I, not only once, but every time we come into his presence, we are washed by the word. But he says clearly in John that if you're already clean, all you need to do is have your walk washed. How many had your walk washed when you've come into church? I've had my walk challenged when I come to church. I tell you, I've had some things I like walking into, walking on. I've had them washed when I come to church because the word has been clearly given. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sanctification. Hebrews 2.11. Pastor used this scripture this morning. Powerful. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. This idea of sanctification, John put it like this. He must increase. I must decrease. Have you noticed in our world everything's got an eye in front of it? Have you noticed that? What does that tell you about the prophetic nature of our world? What is it prophesying over itself? Everything's got an eye in front of it. Just by observation. Sanctification is the increase on one hand and the decrease on another am I ever lost in the sanctification process not at all it's the washing that brings me into a new identity in Christ when I look at myself in the mirror having been washed I'm not proud I'm glad thank God for your washing boy I got all dirtied up this week and I got to church and you washed me clean and I'm ready to go again Amen. 
Hallelujah. And the word of God in church on Sunday salted me and it's going to preserve me as I'm sent out this week into the marketplaces of the world. I don't know if I'm going to survive tonight, I tell you. (laughs) Listen to this. It took a couple of weeks to get the people out of Egypt. Relatively speaking. It took a lifetime to get Egypt out of the people. Because they've been so indoctrinated over those 400 years. The the, the pressure to, to conform to the standards of the world that they lived in. Listen to this. It's one thing to come out of something. It's quite another to enter in. God brought them out of Egypt in a weekend. But to get them into the promised land, for some it took a lifetime. 40 years. Yeah. For some it took a lifetime. Some of them didn't make it. The Bible says they, their bodies were heaped up in the desert. Because they couldn't convert to God's way of thinking. They got lost in the wilderness. Let me ask you a question. To deny sin's existence, which our world does, means there's no purpose and power in the cross. If sin is no longer a problem, then how come sin is is still such a big problem? Help me out. If sin is no longer a problem, how come it's still such a big problem? To deny the existence of sin is to remove the purpose and power of the cross. Listen to what happened at the cross. God denuded his own son so that you and I could be clothed. Is that powerful to you? I would never strip my own child nude before the world to clothe someone else's child. Forgive me for being human. God did that to his own son. He allowed that to happen. Listen to the next part. Jesus was stripped of his own righteousness when our sin was placed upon him. So much so that the father was forced to turn his head. You and I were stripped of our sin nature and the guilt and pain that it brought and were clothed in his own righteousness. (laughs) Man. Sanctification is our identifying with Christ for the, for the purpose of becoming like him. That he might be seen in us. That we might fly the colors of this new life from God that is in us yes. to all those who are around us. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean by that? Put your colors on the mast. Let anybody and everybody know who you are and whose you are. It's hard to know who you are until you really get a grip on whose you are. Help me out. Boy, I heard about that this morning, I tell you. (laughs) Praise your Lord. The third thing, justification. This is a legal component. Romans chapter 3 verse 26. We're going to just look at a couple of scriptures real quick. Romans chapter 3 verse 26. 
to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Chapter 4 verse 25. Who was delivered up because of our offences and was raised because of our justification. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. The Bible says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. In the story of Barabbas, the people made an incredible cry in trying to condemn Jesus to death. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about our church or to hear this message in full, you can purchase or download a copy from our website at www.copchurch.com.au.